Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this weekend's UFC card. Here are your hosts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Vivisection with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush. We are here once again talking about this week's UFC fight card going down at the Apex facility in Las Vegas, Nevada, headlined by top-ranked welterweight bout Vicente Luque rematching Bilal Muhammad. Uh, their first fight happening going down six years ago with Luque winning by KO. Should be a fun, interesting, cool rematch. Glad to see it. The rest of this card is going to be a chore. Mm-hmm. But we're here talking about the prelims, which, uh, yeah, they are certainly prelims. They are... In- entirely interchangeable with the main card um yeah some of them are i guess you're telling me that kyle baraljo godzia omar godzia that one certainly or that uh munir lezez angelusa is like yeah that one i get because it used to be a better fight i guess yeah you're right they're entirely Myra Buena Silva Wu Yanan is not a different, more interesting fight than Panny Kianzad versus Lena Landsberg. It's they're the same fight. Yeah. These are the Drakar Close, Brandon Jenkins, you know, like Devin Clark William Knight is is, is exactly as interesting as Miguel Baeza versus Andre Fialho. I I disagree about that because there are light heavyweights. Oh, heavyweights, actually. They're up at heavyweight now. I especially disagree with that then, but otherwise I agree. I mean, but it's a circus fight. Like, I'm more, I am pumped for it because we're, and we're about to talk about it. It, you know, like William Knight for some reason. You're going to, you're going to yell at me on the main card about being like, why do you like Wu Yanan, this like hardworking, scrappy fighter who tries to adjust? You like William Knight. Why would he I suck like a? <laughs> he sucks. That's why. Five foot six, puffy muscle ball, who <laughs> is like functionally incapable of throwing more than one strike at a time without tipping over. Good question. One and, one results in in uh, occasionally like disappointing, but always like a, a fairly you know uh, fights with good ideas in them and flawed execution the other results in almost entirely awful fights that occasionally have a knockout i want comedy damn it gilbert godfried is dead let me laugh um yeah you know what devin clark versus william light would only be entertaining to me if gilbert godfried was commentating (laughs) oh my god that i would enjoy Oh, so go on. That's, oh, it's, it's me. It's, it's you. It sucks. <laughs> That's my breakdown. It's trash. Um, I don't know why Devin Clark's going to heavyweight. I don't either. William Knight. I mean, they're both going to be comically short. <laughs> Devin Clark's actually six feet tall. Yeah, and William Knight is actually five ten. It's just that he is so wide. That he looks like he's got to be 5'5". Yeah, Devin Clark's extremely thick legs make him look shorter than he is. Yeah. William William Knight's extremely thick everything. (laughs) William Knight is built like a man who is 4'8". Yes. (laughs) He really is. He's built like he he lives in Casa Doom. He (laughs) he just has a dwarf build. Yes. Um, 
I, who cares, Zane, about this fight? <laughs> I De- Devin, I Clark's care. A, Devin Clark's a better fighter. Yes, yes, he is. Just in a very basic way, he's he's close. To, he, he he's close to one like as un, non-functional as William Knight uh, on the grand spectrum of are either of these guys actually good? No, not really. Yeah, yeah. But he's a better fighter. He can occasionally put combinations together. He can occasionally counter. He can throw straight shots and kicks, and he can wrestle reasonably well. And he does. He, he hits with power and works really hard, no matter how tired he is. He works really hard. That's the main thing I think is that Devin Clark is a workhorse. Yeah. And William Knight is uh, a, a drawing, a drawing of a horse, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> William Knight is a is a is a video game min max representation of a miniature Clydesdale. <laughs> <laughs> And they put all of it, all all of the, all of the the sliders in in the uh, in, <laughs> into the side of horsey power, and none of it into like anything else. I don't even know what that means, but it does feel <laughs> accurate. I don't know what it means either. <laughs> so yeah, I'm picking Devin yeah. Clark by virtue of being a hardworking fighter who like actually does things to win fights that don't <laughs> look like accidents. <laughs> Mars William Knight literally looks like a car accident when he fights, yes. except less entertaining. <laughs> Boo! All it's right. more like the, the the insurance paperwork after the car accident. I am a fan of this fight because yeah, you are you're disgusting, ridiculously dumb. Um, Clark doesn't fight in a way that it guarantees him safety. No. Um, uh, almost well, you could say to a fault. It really, really, honestly, to a fault. Most of Clark's really bad losses have come with him diving headfirst onto some strike or I'm into so a. Curious submission. to see what his mouth looks like after that last fight. Yeah, he, you know, he got he, like four teeth knocked loose or a broken jaw or something. Yeah, he is doggedly determined to end himself inside the cage. It would yeah. be. And that makes this a fascinating fight because even a totally stiff armed, non functional tipping over William Knight hits really hard. You know, the, it, it, it's, you can talk about like the lack of kinetic flow between uh, parts of his body. But the truth is, is that when you're built like a bowling ball, there is no, you know, yeah, there is no hip to turn or leg to, to plant. Yeah. It's just all going to be bowling ball. Mm -hmm. He, he hits, so he hits really hard. And that means that there will probably be one moment at least of Devin Clark on a stanky leg Having yeah. just walked into the ugliest straight-armed hook imaginable, that was just like the arm went out straight to the side, and yeah. then Knight just, you know, spun his torso until it clubbed Devin Clark. Yeah. Um, and that's it. I'm still going to pick Devin Clark because he can wrestle, and he fights really hard even when he gets tired. And even in an incredibly slow-paced fight with 
Maxime Grishin up at heavyweight last time, William Knight still felt like he kind of just faded out of that fight. Yep. After the first round. And, and wasn't it entertaining? No. But oh, I, I, I still had fun. And uh, even though he beat Alonzo Menafield, that was both of them. Like, uh, he basically yes. put fear into Menafield, and then they both huffed their way through the last 10 minutes of it. Yeah. So, I am picking Clark. He is more confident, more driven, and more uh, has better cardio than Alonzo Menafield, even though he is far less collected and self-assured than Maximilian. Yeah. And unlike um, Angelusa and Andre Fialio and whatever other hoofed fighters may be on this card, he has an actual disapproving father in his corner. That's right. That's right. That's why Devin Clark fights the way he does. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, odds on the bout. Clark is the favorite here. Opened at minus 150, dropped to minus 170. Currently over at minus 172. William Knight opened at plus 130, dropped, jumped up to plus 145, and is currently at plus 143. That brings us to a woman's bantamweight bout. Lena Landsberg, Penny Kianzad. Landsberg coming back to competition for the first time in a couple years, I believe, after... Oh, no, she fought in 2020. Okay. Didn't she have a kid at some point? I have no idea. I think she did. But neither here nor there. She has not been... Yeah, it is the first time in a couple years. Because I, I, I think of 2020, I'm like, oh, it's 2021. So it's only been like, you know, 10 months or something. But no, it's... It's actually been more than two years since okay. the last Maybe fall. she had a kid. I believe she did, but I'm not sure. She, she did. did. Our producer is telling us she did. So Lena Landsberg coming back to MMA at age 40 um, uh, after having a kid. Our producer is now telling us that she sparred while pregnant. Well, Ooh. that's, you know. Whatever. I'm, I'm not going to judge that. I'm not. I'm You're never going to have a baby. I mean, like, it sounds like a terrible idea, but I don't It have is a terrible baby. idea. Doing physical things while pregnant is not a terrible idea, but sparring? Probably a bad idea. Very bad idea. I'm judging it. I'm judging it right now. Well, I'll let you be the, I'll let you be the corner of judgment on that. I'll just All sit right. back and say, whatever. I hope that the baby is fine. Uh, <laughs> St. Simon, entertained by William Knight fights and pregnant sparring footage. <laughs> hey, look, you stay out of my search history. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. What are you, the NSA? Come on, back off here. <laughs> All right. Uh, I got to pick Panny Keen's odd here. Um, I think this fight's going to be really, really ugly, though. Uh Kian Zod has the unfortunate habit of retreating on straight lines whenever she gets backed up and backing straight into the cage and of uh, punching herself into the clinch when she goes forward and being totally fine hanging out in the clinch. And clinching up is always at the forefront of Landsberg's mind. Mm-hmm. 
And more and more in the UFC these days, uh, when she has her fighting and winning, she turns to wrestling. That's Uh, how she got pregnant. Clinching up as you talked over when the timing was better. Yeah. Okay. Well, shout out Susie Cousy. Yeah, I was gonna say, that's her bit. Stop, stop stealing. Stop stealing jokes, man. <laughs> it's a. It's an homage. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. But uh, yeah, I think this is just gonna end up being a really a grind, a fifty-fifty fight where we are deciding who did a little better with the clinch control they had so much of. I expect Kianzad to be the much sharper striker. Yeah. But if she gets taken down once or twice, then she might lose large portions of a, a, a large enough portions of this fight that it goes against her. But I'll, I'll take her just to be the much more powerful, better mechanics striker out there and to not be 40 coming off a two year break from having a kid. Yeah. The, that's enough for me. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I like Kianzad. I've, I've, I've always been a fan of hers. Um, she is like many of my favorite fighters. Like she's, she's just not quite as good as it seems like she could be. Yeah. That does. That, that, that is a common theme with you. Yeah. I like the, I like the perennial underdogs mm-hmm. and, um, yeah. Kianzad's like a perfect example. Like she has a lot of what, um, a, a lot of what you would like to see in a fighter. She's, she's reasonably big. She's a good crisp puncher. Um, she's a decent enough wrestler too. She's, she's pretty strong in the clinch, mm-hmm. uh, which is a good sign for a hero, even though it probably is a place where she should not be ending up constantly. And she will anyway, I agree with you there. Um, but she's not super confident. She's yep. not a great defensive fighter. Uh, so if you keep the pressure on her, you can kind of keep her shut out of the fight for long portions. Um, yeah, and I think she often also just sort of takes a while to get rolling. Mm-hmm. So p- fighters who start really hot tend to just continue to have a good fight against her. None of these things sound like Lena Landsberg. No. Um, other than winding up in the clinch and being able to compete there again, I think Kian Zad, who is bigger, is uh, is not at all bad in uh, in clinch situations and and maybe able to hang well enough to. Uh, to get by on the fact that every other moment at range, she's probably just going to be doing the better work, landing her jab, yeah. landing her left hook. Uh, yeah, I'll take Kianzad. I think it might be a frustrating slow fight. Yep. Kianzad opened at minus 300. It's currently at minus 409. Lena Landsberg opened at plus 250, and it's currently up at plus 311. So really wide odds for... You know, I get it. Kianzad's had a lot of time off. She's had a kid. She's never been a dominant performer in the cage. But Hanny Kianzad does not definitively beat many people. No. It is just not in her game. She always makes fights hard on herself. Yep. So putting her as a wide odds favorite over anybody feels like a little bit of a mistake. Yep. All right. Uh, that takes us to a. Oh, she's actually late. lost to her before. It was in Lena Landsberg's pro debut. She lost, or she. Uh, she fought Panny oh, Kianzad, yeah. who was two and zero at the time, and lost. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. All right. A lot of water under the bridge since that first fight. Uh huh. 
Let's drop down to a lightweight bout. Drakkar close, Brandon Jenkins. And um, I guess Drakkar close, he had the... Yeah, he he had that he was supposed to have that fight with Jeremy Stevens where he got shoved and then got oh, right. a neck injury off of that and hasn't fought for two years because of it. Yeah. Um because otherwise book this booking makes no sense at all. Yeah, I guess they're trying to give him a soft re entry. Yeah. Um, but that is what it is. Mm-hmm. And uh who knows? Dracar close tended to be in a lot of tough fights, taking as much as he was giving. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe having some time where he's forced to recover uh, could end up being a good thing for him, especially after that Benil Darius fight. Uh, yeah. when, when was the Jeremy Stevens fight supposed to happen? How close to that? That was supposed it was, to it was about a year. Of, uh, of 2021. Yeah, so, so it would have still been a reasonable year and a month after the Darius knockout. Yeah. He, uh, Drakkar Close has never seemed to fight. He's not never been a fighter that fights all the time. You know, yeah. He had three fights in 2017. That was his most active year. But even on the regional scene, he had one year where he fought three times, and that's it. And then otherwise, two in 2018, one in 2019, one in 2020. Yeah. So. Well, even if the layoff hasn't benefited him, uh, assuming he's anything like the fighter he was before it, uh, this is just an easy pick. Yeah. Um, Brandon Jenkins isn't very good. Nope. He is very much a quadruple A talent. Yeah. A guy who has built a scrappy, fun, highlight-focused game that works on the regional scene where other fighters aren't nearly as confident as he is and not as uh, don't have as much variety in their striking. But it is all risk, and it is all built around the idea that people just won't be ready for something with variety. Yeah. He's sort of like a, you swap out a couple of Julian Arosa traits. Mm-hmm. You give Julian Arosa a better chin. Yep. Brandon Jenkins, certainly very tough. Uh, but then you take away his like round winning ability mm-hmm. <laughs> to like keep a pace on somebody and just outpoint people by, by keeping them on the back foot. Yep. Um, and you've got just sort of a, ra- a durable but entirely random grab bag of potentially finishing moves. You know, like you but said, without a lot of athleticism to put actual power behind them. Athleticism and doesn't have the connective tissue uh, technically yeah. either. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really based on the idea that you have to be totally surprised by the one thing that yeah. just came at you. And if you, and that that was a big enough surprise to knock you out. Yeah, and I suspect being a relatively long and tall lightweight, uh, probably especially compared to the lower amount of weight cutting on regional circuits, has also in, made that style more functional than it's going to be at this level, yeah. where people are yeah. just staying at a range where he can kind of pick and choose what he wants to do. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly that seemed to be the case when he fought uh, Zhu Rong, who yep. sort of matched his frame. And there were certain, I mean, not only did Zhu Rong just out-wrestle him at will, there are also long stretches of the fight, and I mean shockingly long stretches, where Zhurong was just standing in front of Jenkins with Jenkins back to the cage, just teeing off on his head. Mm-hmm. Just one, two, one, two, and every shot landing clean. Yeah. Like eight in a row. Uh, so, yeah, again, credit to Jenkins' durability 
He will stay in a fight looking for his crazy stuff to happen, but Close is just a way more consistent fighter. He's aggressive. He pushes people up against the fence and beats them up in the clinch. He uses his striking and his wrestling, kicks and punches, puts things together reasonably well, and sticks to his winning game plan, which is the one thing Jenkins does not do. Yeah. I think a big problem for Jenkins in this fight is really that Close is such a... uh, unflinching counterpuncher. Yeah. One of the things that he's really evolved in his game over the last couple of years. He's always been a fight. He was always a fighter who knew that he just needed to march you down and yeah. be focused and be focused on getting the clinch for him and neutralizing an opponent from the clinch with really like heavy strikes and a lot of, you know, sort of drive to control and to, turn the fight into like a grimy hard struggle but what we've seen like what we saw in against Benil Dario should end up costing him because he is so focused on keeping he's so he's incredibly focused on keeping his himself going forward and keeping his eyes on his opponent yeah that he's not he doesn't move his head much at all which has its downsides against somebody like uh Benil Darius, who was just going to eventually got to a point where he's just like, oh, I just got to start winging heat at this guy and see if I can make something happen. Yeah. And he was able to. But otherwise, for close, it usually means that he does see strikes coming. And when he does, he fires really hard, really consistent counter strikes. And with Jenkins, who doesn't have a lot of steam on his shots and just likes to throw random stuff out there, it seems very likely that Close will just be watching and mm-hmm. he'll see something come at him and he'll just hit Jenkins really hard. So I don't think the element of surprise that Jenkins is banking on is going to be enough in that kind of situation. No. It really took Dariush like getting to the point of being clubbed unconscious to fight, start finding the perfect counter hooks to surprise Drakkar close. Yeah, and throwing in combinations to. Yeah. Odds on the fight. Let's see. Close is a huge favorite. Opened at minus two sixty, dropped to minus three thirty. Is currently down at minus six twenty. Jenkins opened at plus 220, got up to plus 300, and is currently bumped all the way up to plus 437. So, yeah. Probably holding down some parlays on this card. Why you would parlay bet this card, I do not know, but... Yeah. All right. That brings us to another lightweight bout. Rafa Garcia, Jesse Ronson, and... Not a fight that I think will have anybody excited, but a a much, much better booked bout. I agree. Um, Ronson is really one of those. It sucks that he's, is this his second drug test failure he's had in his career? I know he got like unceremoniously axed the first time he was in the UFC. Maybe it wasn't anything to do with the drug tests if it was it was a fight he lost anyway yeah but he also lost three in a row back in 2014 when they still tend yeah to for that yeah they were all split decisions though yeah and all to really good fighters michelle Prezeris, francisco trinaldo and kevin lee back to back to back 
And then he went and he bummed around on the regional scene for a while. And then he came in and he beat Nicholas Dalby. And then he tested positive for a PED and is now, uh, they, you know, handed him a suspension and he's now back fighting down, back down the division at lightweight. But so it's, I'm just going to say, it sucks that that has kind of colored uh, Ronson in terms of what any casual fan might even possibly know about him at all. They know anything because he's really he is what he he is kind of my favorite kind of fighter, mm. which is just a really sneakily good pocket puncher. Not a great athlete, not a really diverse talent, but somebody who has focused their entire career on being a really good boxer in tight mm-hmm. and is just if you challenge him in that one area, he can be a way, way better way. He can beat all sorts of fighters. That is your kind of guy. You like uh map set. You'd like, uh, who's the guy who just kept losing? <laughs> he Frank lost. Frank. Oh, we both love Frank, Frank Camacho. Camacho. No, who was the other guy? Um, he fought, uh, he fought, uh, Shane Burgos. Oh, he got armbarred. He knocked him down and got armbarred. Oh yeah. 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 Um, Damn it. I'll find out. Yeah. Anyway, I do like those kinds of guys. And mm-hmm. I like Jesse Ronson. And Kurt Hollibaugh. Kurt Hollibaugh, yeah. These are fun fighters. They're always fun. That's the thing. Is it sure. like... And and the thing, fun thing about this fight is that the best part of Rafa Garcia is a brawler. Yeah, yeah. Like, he is going to give Jesse Ronson the fight that Jesse Ronson wants. Mm-hmm. And it'll be up to him, I think, to it'll be up to Garcia to to figure out just how bad an idea that might be and change it up. Because he can wrestle too. He yeah. can go out and do other stuff. It's he did not it his critically a- in his last fight. Yeah. But it's not his A game. It's not where he starts. Yeah. And what we saw against Chris Gritzmacher is that it doesn't even take necessarily a great athlete yeah. to beat him because of that. It just takes somebody who can really stay on him and force a pace out of Garcia because his style of fighting and his sort of brawl-focused style really means that he will get easily sucked into the f- idea of having to match the pace his opponent creates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. good point. Um, so yeah, this should be fun. I don't really know who's going to win it because Ronson is, you know, he really, if you're just challenging him in the pocket, he's really hard to beat. He has great hand traps. He has really good counter punches. He has really good counter punches off the back foot. So even if you're pushing forward and thinking that you are getting him moving backwards in a straight line, he will he will nail you really hard and clean as he's backing up. He's not a great athlete. He's not the most durable guy in the world. He's not undurable. He's only been knocked out twice over his long career. Mm-hmm. But he certainly can be dinged up himself. Any any fighter that thrives on fighting in the pocket is going to get hit. Sure. Um, and he can be out wrestled and out grappled. But he's got some. He's got some. 
some tricks that he goes to on the ground that make that a little more challenging. They offer a first line there. You really kind of have to be able to constantly overwhelm him to force that fight on Ronson. I think I'm going to pick Ronson, and I think mostly I'm doing it just because I really like watching him fight. Um, but it's been out a couple of years. He's going back down a division. I don't know if he's going to be, you know, maybe he was using PEDs to just keep muscle mass on and keep more athletically he competitive. Didn't even, he didn't even look that big compared to Dolby. No. He, he looked like the clearly smaller man. It doesn't look like a guy yeah. who couldn't possibly make 155. No, yeah. So I don't, but I'm just saying, like, you know, maybe that helped made was helping him make him feel competitive at the UFC level. I don't know. Maybe it was just all a mistake and an accident. You kind of have to 50-50 it with USADA these days because the uh, supplement industry is terribly tainted. So fighters get caught out for all sorts of random stuff. I just, I really like his boxing. It's slick. He's going to be the, the craftier, more uh, technical boxer here. And I think he can kind of trap Garcia into a fight that Gar- will get Garcia hit over and over again. Yeah, but it's not if Garcia just can change things up and stay flexible. Ronson is certainly one dimensional enough to be beaten. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of feel like against Garcia, one dimensional but good at it is a better tack than like well-rounded and pretty damn shallow everywhere. Like that was more Natan Levy. Yeah. And um Garcia himself is a reasonably well-rounded fighter. He's pretty yep. crafty. Um, yes. But the guys who beat him for one reason or another, like, and, and there's a huge spectrum, as you already noted, of, like, athletic ability. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, the the gulf between Nasrat Hockfrost and Chris Grinsmacher. Yeah, it's, like, one of the worst athletes in the UFC and a decent one. Yeah. Um, and, and both ultimately just kind of beat him with pressure striking. Mm-hmm. My main concern is I don't really see Ronson as much of an aggressive fighter. He's not. It will really, the onus will be, I mean, you, you, you did cover why you think it's going to play out the way you think it will. The, but the onus is going to be on Garcia to make the mistake of charging in. Yep. Because that's where Ronson's at his best. Uh, just like the shot he knocked out Dolby with, like, he just stays zeroed in, lined up with his target, and retreats in, like, short half steps. So he's mm-hmm. ready to fire if you continue trying to chase him. I could definitely see that happening, but I, I think we might be looking at a there's, a... there's a good chance of, like, kind of a... Not dully uh, slow-paced, but a, a moderately slow-paced, just sort of range boxing match with moments of wrestling. And that yeah. I have a much harder time trying to figure out who has any kind of advantage. Yeah, I'm. I'm honestly, like I said, I'm. I'm just kind of picking Ronson because I like the way he fights more. It's more fun to me. Yeah, but if Garcia just can, if if he gives Garcia the pace Garcia wants, and Garcia stays crafty and just changes things up regularly he can you know it it, ronson has also lost to you know 10 different guys (laughs) yeah like he's a very you know schulte and uh alexakin are you know probably better than this amount list but like a loss to matt dwyer matt dwyer is huge so that's probably part of it but it's not 
you know, or to Matt McGrath. Like, yeah. he, he can just get beat by people pressing it. Mike Ricci, too. You know, it, it, it can happen. There are there are a variety of fighters that can beat uh, Jesse Bronson. Yeah. I just like him because he's such a... I, I like his style, too. I just don't know. I want, I worry about the wrestling from Garcia. I mean, in that getting pressed by a uh, by Gritzmacher, according to UFC stats, Garcia got five takedowns in that fight. Now, Gritzmacher mm-hmm. is a reasonably effective wrestler and scrambler. Um, it's also the fact that Garcia will use his wrestling just sort of like as a tactic, but isn't going to, like bank whole rounds. Okay, I'll take I'll take Ronson. I'll take Ronson for sharper combination striking. Um but I don't know. I don't really feel a strong inclination towards one or the other here. No, I don't know. I, I think we're looking at a close fight. Mhm. Ronson and, and the odds makers agree Ronson op- or, uh Ronson opened at plus 140 is currently at minus 107. Garcia opened at minus 116 is currently minus 114. So Dead even in the odds. That works for me. Yep. All right. That brings us to a heavyweight bout. Chris Barnett, Martin Boudet. He's friends with Michael Bisping. Boudet is? Boudet? No. Boudet? Oh. That's how he says it, right? Yeah. No. I, you know, I followed you on that journey, and I'm really unhappy with where it led me. <laughs> you ended up in the north of England. Oop, north. <laughs> uh, I can only do a northern accent, a northern English accent, if I do an old man voice. You can only channel. Uh, yeah. Uh, what's damn it? What's the guy who uh, the incredibly doughy, uh, unhealthy-looking comedian? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that's a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Let me see. Ron- Ronnie Lawrence, the old school British one. He's more Cockney, isn't he? Yeah, no. I, Johnny Vegas. Oh, okay. All right. Doing your Johnny Vegas voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I, can, I can only do it if I'm an old man. He, uh, Martin Boudet met, uh, met Michael Bisping at Mill. <laughs> Working at Mill. <laughs> That's one of my many great accents. Yeah, yeah, real. Um, not real. a super easy one to call here for me, to be honest. <laughs> you know, Boudet has an incredible. The first thing I noticed about Martin Boudet uh-huh. watching tape on him is he has a remarkable b- ability to make guys very tired as they absolutely beat the yeah. piss out of him. Yeah, that's the thing. And then he just sort of like ties them up and. Um, he's a pretty effective clinch fighter for heavyweight. Yeah. yeah. He, uh, he, uh, he does a lot of attritive stuff. All that stuff works better at heavyweight, like kneeing uh, yeah. the thighs. That's like kind of a devastating move when both guys weigh 260 pounds. There's a reason that I have said many times before that the key factor of success at heavyweight, the biggest one, before any amount of skill or athleticism or uh, technique or uh, power, is durability. Yeah, and, and he's Boudet definitely durable. Is, is the example of that. He's is definitely it, durable, and he also doesn't tire out that easily, which is another yeah. great advantage to have at heavyweight, because everyone else does. Um, 
Yeah, so I just don't know what it looks like. Like, is everyone uh, Chris Barnett's win over uh, over Rothwell was like, or over Volante rather was such a beautiful moment, mm-hmm. such a hilarious, perfect heavyweight fight. Yeah, but also like, is he gonna just wheel kick everybody? I think it might be the first time he's ever actually finished someone with one of those insane kicks he throws. <laughs> they literally, they've literally, yeah, looking at his record, not a single kick KO. They've never worked that well before. Usually, he just throws them out there. Yeah, he's. I mean, he's he's such a little planetoid that like he can just <laughs> sort of you know everything he throws ends up looking like a ring. You know, <laughs> I think that's why he was a. He spent so much time in that wonderful post fight interview talking about how much his heel hurt. It's the yeah. first time he'd ever connected with one of those kicks. Like, wow, that's what it feels like. What it feels like to be circumnavigated by my own body parts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so otherwise, he's just—he's not. He also has good stamina. Yeah. He moves around a lot, but he's just not a terribly effective fighter. Like he also tends to win because people just kind of crash and burn. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. <laughs> like he's going to be doing a lot of flashy stuff that isn't working, and then. Maybe does the bigger guy just get a chance to tie him up and spend more time in control of the fight? Or Certainly does might. he fail to, to tie Barnett up because he's just flooding around constantly and Bude has never seen a heavyweight do that before? I don't know. Uh, you talk. <laughs> Fill me in. Yeah, uh, well, one of the things that I really like for Barnett going into this fight is that while he may never have knocked anyone else out with one of his crazy kicks. He does kick the legs a lot. That's true. And uh, the way Boudet tends to just get whomped on by things. Describe his like, movement as lumbering and be very accurate. Yeah. Yeah. In, in, in as much as like a tree is lumbering. Yeah. Like it's just immobile. <laughs> yeah. He just sort of barely trundles around the cage. Mm-hmm. And man, like not even just uh Lorenzo Hood, but if you watched his fight with Camille Minda before that in Octagon twenty five. Ooh, my favorite promotion. Yeah. It is literally five it, it's like eight minutes of Camille Minda just whooping on Martin Boudet and getting slowly redder and more tired <laughs> until like a quick flurry from Boudet late in round two just hurts him and he falls and crumbles and that's it. Yeah. My, my worry is that Barnett, uh, more active striker, more accurate striker, more agile striker. Mm-hmm. But he also like is gonna fling himself into tie ups, which is like the only thing I only thing I think Budai does well. Yeah, because um, he just tends to leap straight into people. No, it's true. I mean, but the kicks are a good point. Landing, having the kicks at range. Um, if he just tries to stay away and just does the boring kicking his legs thing, that will probably bank him some rounds. Yeah, I'm just gonna pick Barnett because. I see his path to victory. Well, I don't even see his path to victory. That's the thing. Like, I just, 
I have seen him win a fight. Like the the fight he had with John Volante. Mm-hmm. Was it the very least a fight he started out winning and ended up winning? Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> and I've never seen that from Bude at no. this point. At least not at any kind of reasonable level. His fights yeah. always start with him getting brutalized, and then him just sort of slowly steering it back, or just staying around, not even steering it. But no, no, literally... he's just still there. He's like, what if Michael Alexajic was pretty bad at fighting? Yeah. So, I'm just gonna pick Barnett. I know he can lay. I know he can swing these wild overhands and these low kicks with power, and make that power connect. Yeah. Um. That might. That'll might be enough to to take Bude out of there. Um. And if it's not, then maybe Bude will just come back in round three and uh, get Barnett tired and Lando is shocked that hurts him and that'll be the end of the fight. I don't know, but I'll take yeah. the guy I think will start out doing better and just assume that he's going to be a big step up for Bude at this point because like Lorenzo Hood is incredibly very much a glass cannon. Yeah. I, you know, I remember back when he was trying to come up the first time off of his NFL or off of his football bona fides and got his way into the World Series of Fighting and stuff like that. And he's just always been a guy that he's been one of those heavyweights who he's the reason athleticism is not the key aspect of heavyweight. Because mm-hmm. you watch that fight with Bude, and he's clearly a good athlete. He's way faster than Bude. He's way, oh, yeah. you know, way more dexterous, way more coordinated. But he just can't take the damage the way Bude could. And that's all that mattered. Uh, I think Barnett is more collected and tougher than that. So I'll take Barnett. Yeah, I'm with you, especially for the low kicks. I think the fact that Barnett doesn't just invest all of his energy trying to crack a chin, which is clearly nigh uncrackable. Yeah. That's just like essentially a waste of energy for most of the heavyweights Boudet has fought. Um, Barnett will actually be like landing strikes that will make Boudet somehow even slower. Boudet is eight inches taller and has the exact same reach. <laughs> Maybe that's part of the reason he looks so ineffective at, at striking a range. Two inches. He actually has a two inch reach advantage. My bad. Okay. All right. But eight inches height advantage. Yeah. It, the the thing that really concerns me is Barnett flinging himself into clinches. Yeah. Actually starting to lose earlier than he should. That could easily happen. This is a thing that has happened to him before in his career too. Like, uh, Buda may might be like a. Yeah, Barnett might have way more experience, but a lot of those experiences have been like embarrassingly bad. Oh yeah. There have been plenty of fights where he just gets toppled over and sat on top of and submitted by just like an actual heavyweight sized heavyweight. It's true. Uh, uh, or knocked out in tie ups and, and clinches are on the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, but if he stays disciplined and flits around and lands kicks, uh, then he can probably not only bank early rounds, but also just like make it harder for Boudet to get back into the fight when his chance uh, finally arises. Boudet is a big, or a reasonable, reasonably sized favorite here. 
Really? Yeah. The Contender I mean, Series bump over the guy who got the KO of the year? Come on now. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, I get it. He's he's six foot four, and he's coming off of eight wins, but, you know, against who? Yeah. They're not octagon fight nights. They're not, like, the any kind. Regional heavyweight is regional heavyweight. You know, uh, Barnett has... He he had a, a whole bunch of those wins at like island fights in Inoki Bombayer and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. You know, he's had tons of success in his past too. Who knows? Um, it's it's a it's a coin flip to me, but I'm gonna go with Barnett just for the sphericalness of it. Boudet <laughs> <laughs> opened at minus one forty, he's currently down at minus two twenty nine. Barnett opened at plus 120 is currently up at plus 184. Oftentimes there's a, like a, a processless fighter whose, whose path to victory could be described as circuitous. Mm-hmm. Chris Barnett's path to victory is circular. Yeah. Yeah. For the first time ever. <laughs> he, I do love him. And yeah, no, I, he's, I, he's fun. I, I'm just still pissed that they cut, uh, oh, who was the other little spherical heavyweight they signed recently? Um, damn it! You're the you're the you're the real heavyweight connoisseur between the two of us. Yeah, I can't remember now. I can't remember who he fought either. So it's not really De, De La Roca. No, no. This is just uh, Ike Villanueva. No heavyweight. Ike Villanueva is a light heavyweight. Wasn't he a heavyweight too? Yeah, he might have been a heavyweight too when he came, first came in. But okay. Anyway, doesn't matter. Anyway, uh, that brings us to a lightweight bout: Jordan Leavitt, Trey Ogden, and um, a very one-dimensional game meets a guy who's just kind <laughs> of a guy. <laughs> Like, prelims. <laughs> Trey Ogden is just a guy. He has been he he is more confident than your average regional MMA striker. I'll say that. He seems okay. like he's been putting stuff together. He's working under James Krause. He's kind of you can see some flashes of Krause's striking game in there and the confidence that Krause brought with him to the cage. He's got a wrestling game that is uh, top game that is very static to go with that doesn't really seem like it builds to anything but he really likes to change it up and use that on people which is then why you go look at his record and you see like oh some confident striking and you see zero uh tko ko wins mm-hmm. and a bunch of submissions and a bunch of submission losses because he is kind of predictable in his it's you know his striking is there but it is always going to lead to a double leg in open space basically mm-hmm. and that just seems like a bad way to fight Jordan leave it yeah we saw that with uh Matt Sales who 
had a huge striking advantage over Leave It, or should have, and was got caught up deciding to wrestle with Leave It and just could not stop himself from wanting to out wrestle Jordan Leave It and got himself all twisted up for it. Now I will say, uh, Leave It also did just kind of get controlled by Claudio Puelles. Yeah, but that's a special kind of just like a disgusting, dripping, moldy blanket. Yeah. But That's I think different. Ogden can do that. I mean, he, he, I think he has it in him to fight that way. Um, but he, he's got the submission losses, too, that suggest that maybe... He, There's a difference to me between fighting like Claudio, Claudio Puelas and being Claudio Puelas. I don't know. Yeah. Puelas is also the kind of fighter who is, like, very obviously very well-schooled in each of the disciplines that he does. Yes. It's just very shallow, and he cannot connect them at all. That's true. He's, and he's a, he's a better top control grappler than anything. And I don't know that that's, you know, he's never been submitted and I don't know that. And I know that that's not true of Ogden. Who yeah. Seems much more likely to just sort of predictably throw himself into bad spots on the ground. Yeah. So yeah, I'll take a leave it. Yeah. I'm inclined to agree, I guess just, just the, the sort of ineffectuality of Ogden striking. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's not ugly, but he doesn't sit down on much, yeah. and he does a lot of posturing, which is weird because he's not like a really, you know, his striking is not usually a dominating factor in a fight. So you, you see him just like land a quick one-two, and then he's like backing off with his hands down, like shimmy, and you're like, mm-hmm. what for what? Yeah, no, I, I don't dislike his striking. No, it's not bad. It's just he, he moves around reasonably well. I mean, he he warrants the posturing more than a lot of fighters with that amount of posturing. Sure. He's pretty quick. He has some ability to counter. So when people, like, try to test his swagger and walk in, he, he can actually meet them with something. A lot of, the, a lot of these lower-level swagger fighters will just be like, you, you just put your hand out there and you realize it's as thin as paper. You can just poke mm-hmm. your finger right through it. Um, but I think you're absolutely right. when you say that the only time he ever seems to actually do something definitive in a fight is when he leaves the striking behind and takes somebody down. Yeah. Um, I mean, who knows gonna... if, if he can just avoid that this time, like it's not yeah. like he couldn't win a decision here over leave it just with the ineffectual oh, yeah. striking. You don't have to knock a dude out to outpoint him on the feet. No, any anybody that just is willing to ignore leave its grappling and shut it down, leave it is not a great shot wrestler in any way. Yeah. And uh he is an in- profoundly uncomfortable striker. Yeah. But no, I'm kind of becoming torn on this the more I think about it. I just think Ogden is going to end up shooting and he's shot himself into submissions before, you know. Yeah. I guess I guess I'll side with you. I'll, I'll you check it out. To. No, I mean, it, it's one of those things where, like, it feels like such an obvious mistake not to make. Yeah. That it's like, well, all he has to do is not do this one thing, and he can do all the other stuff he does reasonably well and win. Two first-round guillotine losses to Thomas Gifford, though. Right, yeah. It's, so it's not it's, just getting guillotine twice, but getting guillotine twice by the same dude. Yeah. You know that this is going to happen. 
it's my re- my resistance to believing that so many fighters could have like Michael Johnson brain. Mm-hmm. Where just like there's a there's like an obvious thing it needs fixing and it just never gets fixed. But that is remarkably common. I mean, fighting is yeah. is very like pathological, mm-hmm. and you do things without thinking because you, you know. By definition, you're in a fight. You're in the heat of the moment. You're going to do the stuff that comes natural. And apparently what comes naturally is shooting every single time. Yep. So he's going to lose the fight for himself. That's the thing that makes it difficult for me to pick. Yeah. I'm not picking Jordan Leva to win necessarily. I'm picking Ogden to lose. Ogden opened at plus 135, dropped to minus 122. It's currently down at minus 132. Leave it open to minus 155, jumped up to plus 105, and it's currently plus 108. So, leave it a very slight underdog. That brings us to a woman's strawweight bout. Estella Nunez, Sam Hughes, and um, this is a harder fight than it should be to pick. Yeah. Uh, Mostly just because in Nunez, you have a sort of underwhelmingly a fighter who isn't very strong and whose game is all all tooled towards striking against a fighter who is fairly strong and not tooled towards anything yeah that does seem to be the feeling and and nunez it's not just the strength either yeah um she she also she, I mean, she seems to feel as if she's not very strong. Yeah. She doesn't have a lot of confidence is what I'm saying. Yeah. Certainly um, not somebody like Ariana Karnalasi, who is no. just all of muscle. Um, but Sam Hughes is a little bit that way, too. She's pretty big and strong. And, you know, physicality is not the lacking part of her game. No, it's the complete lack of coordination. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean the, the the trouble with Nunez is that Carnalossi's strength and her her clinch and her wrestling and grappling those were obviously problems for Nunez, but it wasn't her strength and her wrestling and grappling that got Nunez's back to the fence over and over again. Yeah, it was just like the barest modicum of pressure that she just clearly wanted to come forward and Nunez just couldn't help but let her. Mm-hmm. Um, and it might be tied to the physicality. Like she she felt she got tied up with early. She didn't like it. Mm-hmm. And so then she she didn't feel confident being able to stand her ground and try to try to back Carnalossi off because she was obviously thinking, well, she might just grab me. Yeah. Although if you watch her fighting in like one where she's way bigger than a lot of the people she's facing. um, Still like that. She well, then her fight, her fights are very static, slow paced, open space bouts. Interesting. Where she's not out there just like going ham on people she wants to be out there and like getting time to set up be like a really tricky head kick or a you know a single jab or a single right or one two or something and then go back and like have 20 seconds of feeling out and mid-range and yeah nobody really being that dedicated to rushing anything yeah i mean i think in some ways this could be a good matchup for her because it's certainly Hughes a better is, one than Carnalossi. Oh yeah, yeah. Hughes is so awkward, but she she may actually, in her own way, like be trying to make something like that Carnalossi fight happen. Mm-hmm. But just not being as good at like moving forward and hanging in the pocket to force somebody back. Yeah. 
So all those little moments that Nunez did have where she 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 nailed Carnalossi with her jab or landed a quick counter and then flitted away, those might just keep happening. Mm-hmm. Um, Hughes is just such a like lumbering fighter. Yeah, I mean, Hughes is really just a classic case of a fighter getting to the UFC yeah. way earlier than they should have. Yeah. Like, she had six pro fights, didn't even win all six of those, and then they stuck her in there with Tisha Torres. Oh, yeah. And oh, God, I forgot that was her first UFC booking. It was six pro fights, too, in <laughs> two years. She fought, started in February of 2019, signed with the UFC in December of 2020. And she just doesn't know very much. She just doesn't no. have very much depth. She, she doesn't have anything that she does well. No. You know? It's just not ready for this level of competition. Yeah, a very shallow all-rounder. It's almost like she's just a... Yeah. She hasn't found a thing she likes to do yet. Like, um, Yeah. I, inclined to take Nunez because she's at least a somewhat functional fight at range. And I expect Hughes to spend a lot more time at range than she probably wants to because I don't think she knows how to corner someone repeatedly. Yeah. That I think is the main that's the glaring weakness that was uh, Nunez was exposed for against Carnalossi. It's not like she had zero moments in the striking. She just is way too easy to back up and then does not have the physicality to get out of the clinches. Yeah. Uh, she gets put when she gets tied up. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with Nunez too. I don't, I'm not confident about it, but I, she's been doing, you know, she's been fighting a lot longer. She's a lot more, she's all, she's clearly a much better schooled striker, even if she doesn't do well controlling the bout or the pace of the fight. Yeah. So it just seems like every time, you know, if, if Sam Hughes is just leaning on her on the cage for a minute at a time, and then eating a couple of, you know, a one-two or a high kick out in open space, and then goes back to leaning on the cage, on her on the cage. Not really going to score that fight for Sam Hughes, you know. Yeah, some judges might, might. I mean, the judges might. Yeah, it's true. But that that very easily could be the fight we see. I'll take Nunez just because I would rather think that she can win that kind of fight, but. Yeah, I, and again, my big thing is that I'm not even sure Hughes is going to get as much time to spend against the cage as she wants because she just doesn't know how to like press forward with feints and stringing her strikes yeah. together. Yeah, there's a huge disconnect between every like singular idea she has at range. Yep, agreed. All right, uh, odds on the bout. Hughes is the underdog here. Opened at plus one eighty, dropped down to plus one sixty six. Currently up at plus one seventy five. Nunez opened at minus 210, currently at minus 217. That, whatever. It, it should be a coin flip, <laughs> honestly. Like, whatever. Hughes is, I think, a, a more clear, a clearly more physical, stronger, more confident fighter. And Nunez is a much more technically practiced, uh, sharper striker. And yeah, I have no idea who's going to win that fight. All right. Bantamweight bout. Haile Alatang, Kevin Kroom. And uh, this is also a slightly challenging fight to pick, mm -hmm. honestly. Because 
Alatang has never really figured out. I don't know. It feels to me like Alatang doesn't really know what kind of fight he wants to have. Yeah. In the UFC. And it's, uh, or at least the fight he wants to have in the UFC, nobody else is is willing to give him. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that Kroom is going to be either. Because ideally for Alatang, we were just talking about this with Nunez. Alatang wants to be out in open space with lots of time. And he can use that to either set up single big counter strikes or quick flurrying combination bursts. And then he can go back and he can reset in open space and have a lot of time to work. And if you, fighters who have gone to Alatang and pushed a pace and not gotten knocked out for their trouble or not gotten uh, taken down, rather, for their trouble. He hasn't really knocked anybody out in the UFC. Not gotten otherwise bullied physically. He can't match their pace. No. He has to land the bigger shots. Or he has to land the takedowns. You know, Ryan Benoit and Batgaril Dana both outstruck him by a wide margin. Dana, especially, in their losses to him. And he was able to get takedowns to steer and win those fights. And Gustavo Lopez outstruck him and got the takedowns and got a draw just because Alatang grabbed the cage a bunch. It would have been a decision for Alatang. Mm -hmm. But it's still like... And then, you know, you have Casey Kenny who doubled up on him in strikes. And the fight's still all managed to be to feel competitive no matter mm-hmm. what. Mm-hmm. But it's also like Gustavo Lopez feels just as competitive as Casey Kenny in some right. ways. Yeah, I think it's that he, I, I think Alatang has this thing where he's so focused on what he's going to do. Yeah. There are like, um, and there's so much space for you to be figuring out what he's going to do. There are like a million different ways to counter him. Yeah. Like in that Lopez fight, there's like, he's out of range. He's fainting the jab. He's fainting the jab. Third jab faint. Lopez is like, all right, low kick. Just yeah. kicks him in the leg and it lands really hard. And then he goes back. He's fainting the jab. He's fainting the jab. Lopez jabs. They have a messy exchange. Like there's, there's so many ways to interrupt. Mm-hmm. And Kevin Kroom is kind of a thoughtless interrupter. Yeah. Yeah. Like Ke- Kevin Kroom, it, it's funny. I was looking at the stats. I was expecting Kevin Kroom to have a much higher strike output than Haile Alatang. And technically, he doesn't. He actually has a lower one. Interesting. Um, but in, in terms of significant strikes, at least. But a lot of that is also just because, much like Steven Peterson, mm-hmm. Kroom is dedicated to this idea that a fundamental path, his fundamental path to victory rely, relies on him out grappling his opponent. So while he is a constant messy striker who throws messy strikes at people, it is every single time followed up by clinching and looking for a takedown. And he's really not very athletic. Mm-hmm. So his takedown accuracy is 5%. Oh, my God. 
That's got to be like up majorly from like the Kelleher fight alone or something. He got one of 16 on Alex Caceres. <laughs> I forgot about that fight. So <laughs> it's just perpetually low percentage. Yeah, he is just he will throw <laughs> both hands at once. He will charge at you with a flurry and then he will follow it up by like the lowest percentage takedown imaginable. <laughs> And there's this constant feeling of like Kroom creating things. It's just almost none of what he creates works. <laughs> what what a fight. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, I think I'll take Alatang to Francisco Trinaldo his way through this and like Yeah. Sort of get out some like seem like he's getting outworked and find enough big shots to win. But I expect Krim to make this incredibly messy all the way through. And there's no reason he can't win it. But every like he's just he's filled with like the, the least functional offense possible. And Alatang, I have seen him functionally beat unfunctional offense, even when it feels like he's not doing enough and he's letting people get too much done. Yeah. But it's gonna be ugly. It is. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna take Alateng as well. I think he. I mean, he's already not like easy to take down. Those statistics just blew my mind on Krim's takedowns. <laughs> he's also even when people do successfully take him down, he's he's a pretty solid grappler, Alateng. Yeah. Um. He usually gets back to his feet pretty quickly. He's a he's he's a pretty physically strong fighter overall. I think. Mm-hmm. And yes. that's. He's also comes through. He's functional everywhere. It's just really this this time and indecision. Yeah, that that is really the thing. Um, it comes through in his his striking power as well. He's he's a he's a pretty powerful striker, I think. Like it um, is he, wild to think that he's one one. He's two one and one in the UFC and has never outstruck anyone in any of his fights. That is weird. Um, yeah, there's impact when he connects. I mean, I, I think we might be looking at something kind of similar to the Kelleher Chrome fight because mm-hmm. that that was actually one where um, where Chrome didn't shoot a lot of takedowns. Most of the wrestling success was Kelleher's, and I think threw more strikes than is usual for him. Even it was a, it was a fairly high output striking battle. Yeah. And there are moments where, like, if you're not paying attention to what's really landing, you, you, you know, the commentators, I remember, were certainly thinking, like, man, Kroom is really making this a fight. Yeah. But he would just get hit clean, and you would just forget the last two minutes of his striking because it's like, yep. oh, that was the best shot that landed this round, clearly. Yeah. Kelleher got doubled up on, almost doubled up on in strikes in that fight. Yeah. But and landed six takedowns and a, had a knockdown in the first round. And I didn't think it was a particularly good counterpunching performance from Kelleher. Mm-mm. Like, I can remember watching it and thinking, man, there are opportunities for you to be doing things here. And he just kept trying, like, uh, you know, like a big single left hooks. And I think there were, like, a, n- several spinning back fist attempts. One of them worked really well. And then he just kept going to the well. Yeah. Um, and without the wrestling, who knows? He might have lost it. Yeah. So so I don't know. It it will be ugly, but I think if you if you put that kind of fight on Alatang, you really give him no choice but to just exchange with you. He will do that if he's made to, and he's just going to be the more effective striker. Yeah. So I'll take Alatang as well. 
Odds on the bout, Alatang is the favorite, opened at minus 140, dropped down to minus 175, currently minus 185. Kroom opened at plus 120, jumped up to plus 150, and is currently at plus 153. That's fine. Like, it could easily be a fight where Kroom lands 60 significant strikes and Alatang lands 40, and we're debating, oh, yeah, well, but Kroom looked a lot more hurt in the fir- in the second round, and got uh, taken down in the third for half of it, you know. Anyway, on that note, we're just going to wrap us up. You can find me on Twitter at TheZaneSam. You can find Connor on Twitter at BoxingBush. You can find both of us over at BloodyOba.com. Give us a like, subscribe to our podcast. BloodyOba presents on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all that good stuff. And we'll be back next week for UFC uh, Vegas 52 UFC Fight Night 205 UFC on ESPN plus 63 Font Lemos versus Oh, Lemos versus Andrade. Sorry, Font Vera's after that. Yeah. So okay, that one. Thanks everyone, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, hop over to the Bloody Elbow Presents SoundCloud and iTunes pages, as well as subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We are also on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you will get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, The Mookie and Crookie Show, The Open Guard Cast, The MMA Vivisection, The Level Change Podcast, The Sixth Round Post Fight Show, Sixth Round Retro, The MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, and Radio Style Play-by-Play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to also follow us on Twitter, at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com.